Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for May 10th. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week to discuss ranked choice voting is Marky McBriar from the University of Idaho. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so for a little bit of context, we're having this conversation because um, activist group Reclaim Idaho and their coalition of supporters have filed an initiative that would institute open primaries and instant runoff general elections here in Idaho. Um, we'll have some more in-depth coverage of the primary aspect and other Idaho Reports coverage online. But Marky, we've got you here today to talk about ranked choice voting or instant runoff voting. Um, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with this concept, can you first just explain for me what this means? So um, imagine that we uh, go in to uh, vote for it. Let's say that we're all running for mayor. Okay, so Logan is running for mayor. I'm running for mayor. And Melissa is also running for mayor. And you would go in and you would rank who you prefer most. So maybe you put Melissa as top, me as second, and then Logan, no offense, would put you as the third ranked candidate. Okay. And so everyone in the town does this. And then they tally up who has the most first choice votes. Okay. And the candidate who comes in last for first choice votes, if no candidate has received more than 50% of first choice votes, then we would take the candidate with the fewest first place votes and eliminate them. And the voters who chose that candidate as their first choice are reallocated to their second choice. And then they continue doing this until one of those candidates, say Melissa, gets 50% of those votes, okay? So it, it tends to go in rounds where you're eliminating the lowest ranked candidates and then reallocating the person, the, the votes, from that lowest ranked candidate to the other candidates. And that's a little bit different from like some states here in America have runoff elections. Like I'm thinking of Georgia, where if a candidate doesn't get more than 50%, the top two go to the next election. But this is different in that it's an instant runoff, right? It's all done on that same election day. Exactly, so it's, it's just tabulated the same day. The, di the difference too is like between uh, voting on election day and then a runoff maybe a month or two later is that you can have uh, different like swaths of the electorate on either of those days, right? It can be different. Whereas here you're talking about like it's the same people, right? It's done instantly, you know, by the next day. And so what sort of advantages does this type of system have over what we currently use, what's called a winner-take-all or first-past-the-post election, where you don't need to get a majority, you just need to get more than all the other candidates? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I will speak about this in hypotheticals. Okay, uh, In terms of advantages, a lot of what proponents argue is that it will reduce negative campaigning because if it's more about ranking candidates, like if I made a really terrible ad against you, that might then not be super appealing for then me to be like the second ranked candidate. Um, so it sort of discourages negative campaigning. Um, it also means that it might be uh, more representative of the preferences of the electorate. So like a more complete expression of preferences. Um, as opposed to like, I just have to choose one, right? I, I instead get to rank one, two, three, even as many up to 10. 
Um, it also uh, probably discourages strategic voting, at least hypothetically, that's the expectation. And by strategic voting, uh, I just mean like in presidential elections, sometimes maybe your preferred candidate was the libertarian candidate or Jill Stein, but you know that they're not going to win. So you instead default to one of the two major political parties candidates. Um, it is also theoretically might encourage candidates to run, um, more candidates to run, because it reduces uh, some of those barriers, right? You tend to not have it uh, like primaries filtering people out. You could have two or three Republican candidates, two or three Democratic candidates uh, in the same election, in the same general election. Theoretically, I, I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. Theoretically, the idea is that it could increase the diversity of candidates so that we we know from the gender and politics literature that um, women tend to not pursue elections that are hyper competitive. And because of the nature of this, like a ranked choice voting election, uh, we might uh expect that women will enter these races more. That is not really borne out in the literature. And there's also, uh, there's potentially the idea that it would provide more qualified candidates from which you can choose. Again, mixed evidence on that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's kind of address that elephant in the room. Like you've said, a lot of this is theoretical. A lot of this is mixed evidence. Um, this has been an a political science idea for a while, but it's relatively new that it's being implemented in the real world, right? Um, so... And when I say a while, I mean a very little while. <laughs> this is fun. Uh, it's, it's actually not an entirely new idea. Um, these look really similar to something called preferential ballots from the 1890s through the 1910s. So like during the age of like progressive reforms, however, those didn't really catch on. And you can read more about those in like some of Jack Santucci's work. Uh, they didn't really catch on though. Um, but now you're seeing more cities in the past five, 10 years uh, and even states now adopt ranked choice voting. But because of how recent this is, because of how few cities and states have adopted it, um, a lot of what we, we don't have a lot of like observations from which to run analyses on. So I'll, I'll put it that way. We don't have a lot of evidence in favor or against for how well this might work. And so we addressed the theoretical advantages where it could make campaigns a little less negative. It could generate more diverse candidates on the general election ballot. What about the disadvantages? What are some of the common criticisms for ranked choice voting? So for those of you listening to the podcast, who knows if you followed my explanation at the beginning about uh, like reallocating votes from the third choice to the like the other candidates, right? It's a little complex to explain. I remember first learning about it like six or seven years ago and watching a YouTube video that um, the city of St. Paul had made and it involved sticky notes. And I had to watch it like three times where I was like, what's going on? So the idea here is that it can potentially be a little bit confusing. However, there's also research that suggests that it's no more confusing than a first past the post system. So like there's, there's not necessarily evidence that it is 
would be more confusing than a first-past-the-post system. However, it would be different than what most people are used to, and that can be a little bit of a hurdle. Um, the other thing is that uh, it might lead to more ballot errors. Uh, so if you don't quite understand what you're doing with the ballot, it might lead to you messing it up, right? Like maybe you you really wanted to rank like Logan first, but you ranked him last, right? Like you didn't understand how that works. And then that might mean that your ballot is counted in a way that you didn't want, or maybe it's even discarded because you filled it out incorrectly. Um, the other thing is that, uh, it might be difficult. So like as mentioned before, if there are more candidates entering the field, uh, it might be difficult to know what their positions are on everything. So in the instances of the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota, there was a race, I don't know, seven or eight years ago that had a, a field of 30 candidates. You as a voter, like that might be a difficult thing for you to identify like I think this is the candidate for me, right? Like having to do that much research on 30 candidates could be could be pretty overwhelming for an average voter. Uh, and then I think one of the other th things that we've seen uh, discussed, at least with Alaska, was exhausted ballots. So ballots that get thrown out, right? The that that person's like top two candidates or top three candidates don't end up making it into those later rounds. And the, so their votes aren't necessarily counted in in the final tallies. Sure. If there were, say, five candidates and they only ranked three and the, all three of them had been eliminated. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I will note that under the specific petition filed by Reclaim Idaho, it would be four candidates that advance from the primary onto the general ballot. So we wouldn't necessarily see a field of 20, but that, that same principle definitely still is at play. Exactly. Um, and so you've referenced a few places where this has been instituted in municipalities like St. Paul. Um, some states have started trying it. I'm thinking of Maine and Alaska. Um, in these places where it has been implemented, what sort of effects have been seen? So, um, like if there are a few dimensions that we would look at, right? So one is the effects on candidates um, and does it encourage candidates, more candidates to run? There's mixed evidence. Uh, does it improve the quality of candidates? Again, mixed evidence. Um, I think there was a really great um, like conglomeration of essays from Lee Drutman on ranked choice voting pretty recently. And the way that they framed it was null to small effects, null to small effects. So like, I think that that's what, how we should frame this discussion is like null to small effects. And effects on campaigns themselves, um, this is probably the most robust finding in all the literature is that um, it does seem to lead to less negative campaigns. Okay, so that's that's one that does bear out a little bit more in, in the scholarship. Um, does it improve turnout? Mixed evidence on that too. And there's even research that shows that like it might deter, it might deter turnout. Um, and then there was one piece on like what effect does uh ranked choice voting have on like the behavior of city councilors and their ideology, and again, null effects. Um, so for the most part, like I think you could easily sum this up as null to small effects. And there was a great piece from uh, Melody Crowder Meyer. And like literally the title is like 
not a catastrophe, not a panacea, right? Like it's like, it's not a disaster, but it's not everything that like it's being sold as either. And so the supporters of this measure, as it's been filed as a ballot initiative, their motivation doing the ranked choice voting in tandem with open primaries is to address some of what they call extremism or um, too much ideological pull in uh, elected officials. Um, is that the motivation in other places that have implemented it? Um, I know you you said that kind of the the goal is to be moderating or to allow more access. Has that largely been the motivation where it's been tried? So the interesting thing about that is like a lot of places where it's been adopted are it's it's nonpartisan elections, right? Like not, not to say that partisanship it doesn't exist in partisan nonpartisan elections. Partisanship certainly exists in nonpartisan elections. We know that from a huge body of work. Um, However, this is mostly adopted in nonpartisan settings like municipalities. And it's not just, I, I think there's the perception that because it's cities that, that are adopting it, it's liberal places. But like there are a ton of like cities in Utah, like fairly conservative places where like 14% of uh, that city supported Hillary Clinton, right? In 2016, like, really, really low percentages of liberal preferences are adopting things like these. So it's perhaps uh, not just about polarization, but I do think that there is this demand to sort of change up electoral rules in an attempt to uh, potentially address some issues with, with polarization, right? Does Is that how it bears out ultimately? Does it address polarization? That's a, a bit less clear. And one more implementation question for you here. In these places where it's been implemented, who have been the supporters? Has it been the local governments themselves doing it? Has it largely been ballot initiatives? Can you answer that for me? So um, it's really, it is a lot of ballot initiatives. Like to be clear, it's it's ballot initiatives. Sometimes they're initiated within like the city council themselves, right? The city council recognizes like, hey, like I we should experiment with ranked choice voting, but then it has the support of the electorate in the place. But it's it's mostly ballot initiatives where you're seeing this. So like in 2020, we had Alaska uh, and like eight cities pass it in 2021. We have five cities pass in 2022, eight out of 10 pass. So it's fairly popular as, as a ballot initiative. At the same time, we should recognize that the places that put forward these kinds of like changes to electoral rules might be more prone to passing them anyways. Right. That brings us back here home to Idaho, where Reclaim Idaho has been fairly successful when it comes to running ballot initiatives. Of course, there's Medicaid expansion. Um, there's the Quality Education Act that they wanted to raise some taxes to fund education that led to a special session. Um, but this proposal, ranked choice voting, that's quite a different pitch than funding for education or access to healthcare, isn't it? Yeah, this is uh, like, and we sort of touched on that previously, right? That this can be a somewhat complex system to explain and therefore sell, right? Um, so that will be a hurdle to overcome in, in trying to sell this as like a, a ballot initiative, right? How how well can you con communicate complex electoral rules? As someone who studies electoral rules themselves, right? 
uh, like sometimes you see the students just sort of like glaze over, right? When you when you start talking about rules, but rules do matter, right? Like rules matter for for lots of things. Um, it will be an an interesting way forward, though, because the state legislature has also come out against ranked choice voting and said like no counties can administer ranked choice voting elections for cities, school districts, right? Like like essentially counties are not allowed to administer ranked choice voting. Yeah, this, the state took that step this legislative session to say you can't do a local initiative at a county or city level to try this even in Idaho. Exactly. It's interesting too because uh, like the national party, like the RNC also had a resolution that said like, uh, like we are coming out against ranked choice voting. The the interesting thing is like Democrats have not come out in support of it either, but you are seeing like Republican Party come out and say like, we don't want it, which political scientists, like we talk at conferences and things. And there's even sort of this expectation, though, that it might favor ranked choice voting might favor the Republican Party in national or state elections because the third party who's like tends to be most popular is the Libertarian Party, right? And so if they don't make the cut, then those votes could be reallocated to the Republican Party. So I think right now, because of like, I just sort of walked you through like mixed evidence over and over and over again, I think because of the unknown, there's some sort of hesitation from the party about instituting electoral reforms like these. Um, but to say that it would harm their party, I, I don't know that that is correct, right? Based off of current evidence, that does not seem to be supported or, or questioned at all. Okay. Um, from the political science literature, are there any other big takeaways that you think we should know about as I've got you here? Hmm. I think, <clears throat> like, I sort of briefly touched on this but like a lot of this work that we have previously is based off of nonpartisan local elections. And there is less work on what this looks like in statewide partisan elections, right? Like we know that it's being done in Maine. We know that it's being done in Alaska, but those are just a few observations, right? We don't, we don't quite have expectations or um, results for what this looks like on those like sort of larger scales. And so I, I think that there are large gaps here about what we don't know yet about this specific electoral reform. Well, that petition is being reviewed by the Attorney General's Office and the Secretary of State's Office. Um, if it is approved for signature collection, we will keep covering that and possibly have you back to talk about this mechanical issue more and explain it for our viewers on TV if they have to care about it. <laughs> Mark McBriar with the University of Idaho, thanks so much for your time this week. Thanks, Logan. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go. 
while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. And remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.